Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. We talk a lot about sex ed, but when we're shopping for products to support our sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, we head to the experts at Lion's Den. For 50 plus years, Lion's Den has been a leader in adult products. Whether you wanna explore a new kink or add a little romance to your evening, Lion's Den has something for all. Each location is brightly lit and staffed with the very best experts in pleasure, passion, and romance, so you can feel comfortable and confident in your purchases. Lion's Den is offering our listeners 15% off your purchase in-store and online using code SEXEDWITHDB at lionsden.com. What if I told you that I did a masturbation experiment with the magic wand and the results were incredible? Don't believe me? Let me share a few things with the class. When using the magic wand every day, I experienced less stress, anxiety, and physical tension. I reported more frequent positive moods when using the magic wand every day, including higher levels of confidence. My level of horniness increased over time when using the magic wand every day. Want to see how else the magic wand impacted me positively? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand experiment to learn more. Let's talk about lube and condoms. Something important to know is that oil-based lube is not to be used with condoms because the oil can cause the condom to break or tear, which would defeat the purpose of using it. Thank goodness for UberLube. UberLube is latex compatible, so it's safe and effective to use with condoms. But wait, there's more. Dispensing two drops of UberLube inside a condom and a measured pump outside will increase pleasure. What are you waiting for? Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. I'm sure you've heard the phrase bottoming before, but do you really know what it entails, pun intended? When it comes to anal sex, there's typically a top and a bottom, and any combination of the two. The top is defined as the insertive partner, and the bottom is defined as the receptive partner. If you're interested in anal play or bottoming, the three major muscles in our butt need to be relaxed for complete and successful entry. After you've started to experiment with the tip of a finger or a butt plug with lots and lots of lube, You may want to slowly graduate to a pre-bottoming anal training routine to ensure the best experience. Enter the glass anal dilator set with three gradual dilators, small, medium, and large plugs from Future Method. And an important fun fact, an anal surgeon designed these glass dilators so you know that he's got your back and your bottom. To learn more about bottoming and the glass dilator set, go to futuremethod.com and use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at checkout. Welcome back to another episode. Hello, hello. I hope everyone is doing great. I am really just feel so great after my conversation with Pigeon Pagonis that you are going to hear today. This interview is really, really different from a lot of other interviews I think you'll find if you're an avid Sex Ed with DB listener. It is very raw. It is just so authentic. And it felt like I could listen to Pigeon talk for hours and hours. And I hope you feel that way too. Uh, I was very moved by this conversation and will remember it for a really, really long time. And uh, yeah, can't wait to read their book. And I'm just really, really excited that I got the chance to chat with them again, three years later, as they were on the podcast um, a few seasons ago in the beginning of the pandemic, kind of wild. But uh, before you hear our conversation, I would love to remind you about rating and reviewing the podcast. Uh, It's a really, really simple way that you can just click a few buttons and it would mean a lot to support me and and my team. Uh, If you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, uh, and you email us a screenshot of your uh, review and your rating, you could win a prize. Uh, so send us that email at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. And here I am with the amazing and brilliant Pigeon Pagonis. Good morning, Pigeon. How's it going? It's good. How are you doing? 
I'm good. Uh, welcome back to the podcast three years later. I can't believe that it's been that long since we last spoke. Kind of wacky. Yep. <laughs> no comment. No comment, they say. Um, well, you've been on the podcast before um, with Hans Lindahl and Saifa Walls for our intersex episode, which was such a fantastic episode, which by the way, people love. People tell us all the time that they are obsessed with that episode, which is really, really nice to hear. Uh, and for folks who haven't heard that episode, definitely go back and listen after this one. But I'm wondering if you can start by introducing yourself and just telling us about your work as an intersex educator and a creator and author and many other hats that you wear. Um, it's funny you said creator and educator because I just changed my Instagram to say that. I'm trying to be more like better at social media. And it's, oh, thank you. I'm glad thank that you. I saw it's that. Working. It's working. Um, yeah, I'm an intersex person. Um, I'm a person first and foremost, but I'm intersex. I was born intersex and um, I, you know, dedicate my life to the working aspect of my life, I dedicate to sharing intersex information, um, giving lectures and workshops and keynotes and being real creative too, making films, um, doing photography projects around intersex, uh, doing, you know, making clothing lines and stuff like that, like making cool intersex positive t-shirts and art. Um, and lately, I've decided, I hope this doesn't conflict with the uh, podcast, but I don't want to tell my story anymore. I want to, um, I just want to focus on intersex as a whole, like a broader mm. stroke and the positive things going on and the successes going on. And I want to embody intersex joy um, for others that are intersex. And I basically just want to I want to be. I want to continue on my healing journey and and be a catalyst for others to heal as well. Hopefully, they see me healing and they want to heal, and I can share things along the way that I'm learning. So I think that's that's kind of where my focus is: is what are intersex people doing that is what are they doing that are like successes? Where where are they winning around the world? Uh, what are their wins? And also, and how do they do that? And then also, how, what does their healing journey look like? And yeah, I'm going to be working on a documentary about those two themes this fall. We start filming pretty soon and just kind of, you know, kind of looking at those aspects around the world, like where, where intersex people are having big wins or successes. And also, I want to know, like, how do you take care of yourself? Because there's no way to do this work without it affecting you, mm. which is why I was saying I don't want to tell my story anymore because it, it, it leeches so much out of you and... And I've done that already, you know, for so long and it's in my book now and I can finally hopefully like come back to this work in a different way. Yeah. Do you feel like the fact that you have like this physical thing, which by the way, congratulations on your book. Thank um, you. It came out yesterday, which yes. is what, what timing? I'm very happy that we were able to chat with you. There must be so many emotions and feelings and excitement and I'm just wondering, I guess, based on what you just said, do you feel like because you have this physical thing that you're able to say, like, my kind of heart, soul story is like in this thing, then it kind of relieves you from having to talk about it in the same way? That's the goal. That's the goal. Um, I've had this thought before, like I made my first film called The Sun I Never, the Sun I Never Had, and I was like, oh, it's in the film now. Or actually, yeah, also like it's on YouTube. And I was like, oh, it's on YouTube. Like, or, um, you know, another film called A Normal Girl. My story was in there. I'm like, you know what? Or like, you know, I've just, I've shared my story in so many different formats and mediums that there's been moments like this before where I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm done. I get to move on. But I think I didn't really have a full understanding of how bad I needed to separate myself from my story before. Um, and now I do. And I think having the book, which is the most in-depth and expansive and thorough explanation of my story, um, now I'm like, it's time. And 
and I um yeah, I think because I have this physical book out there, I can refer people to it and and if, you know, and we could talk about other things. So totally. It, does, it is it is like a a path. It feels like a nice it feels like a transition actually, like a baton. And the book is my baton to myself and I'm like, mm. okay, now I could do something else. Um yeah, it's like it's like a chapter. It's like a chapter right. closing and a new chapter opening, and it's literally a book with chapters. So that's kind of <laughs> correct. <laughs> yeah, very apt metaphor. Very yeah, I, I I imagine that must feel like a lot of things at once, but primarily, I hope, like you said, very freeing, and like you're kind of able to really like shift your energy and your attention on a different way to express yourself and like relate to other people, um, which is yeah. nice. Yeah. That would be nice. That is nice. Yeah, <laughs> it is, is nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about like the wins that you were referring to, you know, like I think this is a very powerful way to to think through how maybe we're not kind of like further marginalizing like marginalized groups by only talking about trauma or pain or hardship, but also talking about like how we need to champion folks and specifically intersex people. Um, are there kind of any wins lately that are happening for you and your community or that are on your mind that you want to highlight? Well, there is so many this summer. There's my book coming out. My memoir came out yesterday. Um, my friend Alicia's memoir is coming out next month, Intersex as well. Um, someone in my community named Esther had a, also Intersex, had a memoir come out earlier this summer. Um, People like Kimberly Zieselman had a memoir come out during the, maybe two a year or two, two years ago. Wow, a lot of books. Well, there's like a lot of books all of a sudden. Um, Hida has one. You know, there's a lot of books. Um, there's a film that just came out this summer called Everybody. Oh, yeah. We're interviewing Saifa again uh, at the end of this season. So I'm really excited to talk to him about the, the film. Right. And this, so that film is out. Um, so these are these are all big wins. Um, to have so much representation in media. Um, and then there's like, if you go back a few years, there's the win. At, I don't know if we talked before or after, but we had we had success with our campaign um, at Lurie Children's. Did we talk about that last time? We, we might have. I think like one of my questions that I have here, and this is like a perfect, a perfect segue actually, because you are a founder of the Intersex Justice Project. Mm-hmm. And co-founder. a co-founder, um, other other co's as well. Um, and it's hashtag end intersex surgery campaign in 2020. And so, you know, I I would I was wondering if you talk through like the goal of that campaign and what you accomplish and maybe what's still left to accomplish that folks are still working on. Um, so the goal was to focus our efforts more narrowly instead of focusing on the entire country to end the surgeries. Um, we focused on one hospital. And since Saifa, Saifa is the co-founder. Um, oh, and I'm no longer there, by the way. I don't know if I made that clear. I say co-founder, but it's like, I don't know what the word is if you're not there anymore, but I was past co-founder. Previous, Previous co-founder? co-founder. I was the original, I don't know, one of the original co-founders. There you go. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Saifa doesn't live or didn't live in the city where his surgeries occurred and I did. So we focused on Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. Um, and we wanted to get, our goal was to get one hospital to end the surgeries. So the campaign was called end intersex surgery. Um, hashtag. And we had three goals, one to get them to end the surgeries, two to get them to apologize. Um, and three for them to set up some type of uh, intersex reparations fund for all the people that they've harmed at their hospital and to create some type of fund that intersex people could access um, to get care or things that they need, um, especially things that they need because of what happened to them at the hospital. So in 2020, yes, was it 2020? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was 2020. Um, thank According you. to my notes. Okay, 2020. good. <laughs> 2020, wow. Yeah, that was a year. That was a summer. Mm-hmm. Is it really 2020? Not 2022? 
Maybe there have been multiple campaigns. Well, the campaign went for years and years, but I'm trying to think when did Lurie um, apologize? Um, oh, I see. A few years ago, mm-hmm. Lurie actually, we, we, we had a success and um, Lurie, it's in the book too, the whole campaign and all that. And Lurie apologized and they became the first hospital in the country, in the world to apologize to intersex people for what they did to us for some 50 plus years. And they also made a statement that they were going to end surgeries um, on intersex people. They did not agree to a reparations fund, but we got the first two demands um, that we wanted. And yeah, that was, did you say, how do we do it? Is that what you said? Yeah, or just kind of like maybe what's still left to accomplish. Maybe do you feel oh. like that reparations fund is kind of like a, a, a main goal or is is it also in addition to that equally as important to kind of do the same thing with like as many hospitals as you can? Like what's, yeah. what's the – yeah, what, what do you see as kind of the vision for something like that? Well, I found out that – I found out a few weeks ago that – the surgeon that was the main surgeon doing surgeries at Lurie named Earl Chang. He's still doing surgeries. He's just not doing clitoral surgeries, supposedly. Um, And he's still doing like vaginal surgeries and other surgeries, reconstructive, uh, not yeah, cosmetic, plastic type, plastic surgery type things to people's vaginas. Um, So I would say there still needs to be work done just even at Lurie to hold them accountable mm-hmm. um, because at the end of the day, all they, it was, it was just words on a website, you know, and there's nobody, there's not, well, there is some people trying to hold them accountable on, on the inside, but there's not like a formal, there's nothing that they're really accountable to. They could do whatever they want behind closed doors. I think, you know, like there's no way for us to know on the outside. So there would, there would still be work there that needs, there's still work that needs to be done there. Um, and yeah, I would say it would be great if other people could uh, organize their own end intersex surgery campaigns in their cities against children's hospitals. So that would be like a dream and a fantasy. Um, yeah, that did. Yeah, that would be great. But it is. It's not going to be me. Um, and so. <laughs> I don't know who's going to be, but um, there's a lot of, speaking of intersex joy and win, wins, there's a lot of young intersex people coming up now. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you, like, how, how you feel like the space has, like, shifted since you've been a part of it. Yeah, it's so different. Um, I was one of the only young people I know speaking, like, publicly when I first started about 15 years ago. Um and now there's just and 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 even even like back then people weren't even using their real names on things like Tumblr where you don't even have pictures of yourselves. Mm. That's how scared everybody was to uh, not scared but like protective or also maybe a little fear around certain people finding out. And today it's like people are putting intersex in all their Instagram bios like intersexy is a hashtag. Um, mm. You know, it's just like people are proudly intersex today. Not everybody in the world, but there's just so much more, especially younger people that are younger and they're coming up. And yeah. And so now you're seeing people like I remember one of the things we did at IJP is I I, I designed a, a poster that said end intersex surgery. And then I had other people design their versions and we and we put them on a Google folder for public use and we encouraged people to print them out and plaster them in their cities. And I just found out that like somebody has been like took that over and they're like, they haven't, they, they organize each year for people to go to other in, in their cities to post, to put those posters up. And I didn't even know. So that's amazing. And that's what I want to keep happening is just, you know, we put a lot of, re- we put some resources out there in IJP. Like uh, we did a whole toolkit about how to do your own and, and intersex surgery campaign in your city and there's like 10 steps into a whole google doc and there's visuals and we put the chants in there that we used and we put the posters that i was talking about and how to strategize how to do this whatever and i really hope that like the younger people that are coming up 
actually, I just hope that they are happy. That's all I really care about. But if they want to do activism and advocacy work, I really hope that, you know, they can use some of these tools and then come up with their own and, and it would be great, you know, and to end the surgeries in the whole country. Um, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I do think that young people, there is kind of this difference, especially with like Instagram and TikTok and with people, like you said, not everybody, but there is definitely a difference in people being proud about their labels and kind of really wanting to connect with people about Mm -hmm. neurodiversity and Mm -hmm. different gender expressions and just different ways of living and experiencing things. And, and that is definitely different from when I feel like I was growing up and, you know, didn't have access to those kinds of just see, just visibility, just seeing other people who were like proud about who they were, if they were, different from the norm or whatever. Yeah. And that's like my hope. Uh, I just saw what a post about Florida instituting Prager U or Prager University videos in their schooling systems now for fourth graders, third graders, fifth graders, etc. And these, these videos, Prager U is like a conservative backed media company that wants that's whole purpose is to indoctrinate people into conservative values or whatever. Conservative. I won't even say values because they're not values. Um, Conservative ideology. These videos, there's, there's a video there. They're making kids watch that says it's all about how to embrace your femininity. And it says things like you should love to stay at home. It's a privilege to stay at home and raise your kids. And you should really like, you should smile. And then they have a guy saying you should smile. And then they say, cause it lights up the whole room. And, um, it's like, um, you should make your house pretty. You should. And and then there's like ones about masculinity and it's like, they, they literally say like masculinity won the war against Nazis. And so like embrace your masculinity. It's not toxic. And then they have one about, um, slavery or Christopher Columbus. And they're like, they're like telling, they're like, they're saying that like it wasn't that bad because in his time, you know, slavery was just so normal. And and then they have one with Frederick Douglass saying that like it's like a pot like they're being um they're, they're downplaying slavery, but with these figures throughout history. And so you see this, I'm just like hearing it right now. There's like this constant focus on um the like reinforcing the gender binary and really uh outdated gender roles Mm -hmm. and also this this desire to rewrite history when it comes to black people's histories history in this country and especially around slavery there's like this weird obsession they have with trying to downplay slavery and and my hope why i was saying all this is that i was i was really alarmed but then i was thinking a lot of these kids have access to tiktok and youtube and all these other apps I probably don't even know exist. And there's so much good media on there, hopefully that they can tap into um, that. Hopefully that can counterbalance some of the stuff that might be enforced on them in school mm-hmm. with these, with these videos that are like cartoons. They're like, some of them are like cartoons, some are whatever, some are people. Um, so yeah, the, 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 the representation of different, like you said, neurodivergent or different identities, um, sexualities, ways of existing and and the way that some of these younger people are able to break it down in such like short and accessible ways and like attention grabbing ways i hope that that can hopefully counterbalance some of the stuff that like say kids in florida are going to be maybe indoctrinated into in their school system yeah that's really scary to me (laughs) i mean not like it i'm surprised because we know the state of sex ed in this country. We know how quote unquote controversial discussing racism and sexism is in certain parts of this country. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I just, that it it just makes me a little worried, um, about young people being forced to hear these ideas, but you're, you're right in that the hope is that 
either at home and or on the internet, they're able to grasp some sort of semblance of the truth. Although I I do think it, like algorithms and true, you know, the way in which people are fed information, it's so dependent on what they first see and what, you know, mm. what their address is and, you know, the the way that their families vote. Like there are so many things that these algorithms know about us. Mm. And I do wonder if it just kind of pushes kids deeper into these holes instead of allowing them to really see like the full picture. Yeah. Tough. <laughs> it's scary. I mean, maybe I think this is a good opportunity actually because you said something earlier that I wanted to highlight, which is like, I hope that these kids are happy when mm. we were talking about, you know, that end intersex surgery campaigns. And I can just sense it from you, like chatting with you this time around does very much feel like a different energy. And of course, you just finished a book. There's so much going on. I'm sure it's like quite exhausting. I can't even imagine how much energy and effort has been put into this project. But I do think that there's this general feeling that I'm getting from you of like, I've been in this work for 15 years. I've been doing this a really long time. I need a little space or Mm -hmm. some sort of a break from talking about like the hardships exclusively or like some sort of burnout. Like, can you maybe talk about this a little bit for other activists who I think like are really passionate about their work, but inevitably like burnout comes really hard for most people. And, and how, how do you kind of like deal with that? Or what are you, what do you do to mitigate that? I think, I think I grew up, um, Especially when I went to college. Well, when I went to college, I'll say, during my college years, there was a pride that I learned about, or I, there was a certain, I guess, emphasis on the personal is political, which is, goes back in time. And we, would, we were learning about that in my um, education, in my classes. Um, the power of an individual story and storytelling, subjectivity, your own subjective experience being pushed up against like mainstream narrative, dominant narratives. And for people that have experienced oppression or any injustices, sometimes all you have is your voice or your story. And so there was a pride of like, or like a certain pride of like, okay, well, mainstream society says this about intersex people, but I'm going to share my truth. And that was a vehicle for so long for me, um, was to share my story. I've probably, if I, I can't even imagine, I've never even thought about this, but if I can count how many times I've shared my story since I found out when I was 20, 19 or 20, um, it, it, would, it would probably be mind-blowing. And... There was people along the way, I think people who were like my age at the time and or older, who were like, you don't have to share your story. You don't have to do this. They would talk about burnout. They would talk about self-care and taking care of yourself. And um, I was like, not trying to hear that. And I right. was like, it'll never You're like, happen. that's not me. Yeah. I was like, I'll never burn out ever. And <laughs> And sharing my story does nothing to me. Like, I'm fine. Like, I'm totally fine. And like, yet every time, especially in the beginning, I would be like, I would, well, actually always, like, I'm so out of it. If I give a talk usually and I would tell my story or just to a reporter or a journalist or whatever, for the rest of the day or the next day, I'd be like completely like flattened. And yeah, I think that there was this, sense that I had to share my story, um, that the personal is political and that, um, this is my most powerful weapon against what is, what happened to me and what is happening to other intersex people is I think because early on I had this fantasy. Well, I was first, I was like in awe. I was not in awe. I was, I was, uh, I was completely just overwhelmed by what I had found out about what they did to me. And I was completely like in shock. 
And when that settled a little bit, I was like, like, I was just so like, I'm like, is this, I can't believe this is real. And I'm just need to tell one newspaper and then everyone will be like, oh, you're right. This is horrible. And then they're like, we're going to end the surgeries. I think I like held on to that belief for a long time mm. but when it didn't happen at first. Cause I think one of like my first bigger interviews was like for AP and they published in like in every newspaper, usually like people take their bylines and then disseminate it everywhere. And it didn't do anything. Like the surgeons just keep doing what they're doing. And, and then I would think, I think maybe without thinking about it, I was like, well, I just need to get a, I need to share my story to more people or I need to go on YouTube and then let more people find out. And then there was this like hamster wheel of thinking like, if I can only do, if I can it's only never do ending. more. Yeah, it's never ending. If I could just give more, do more, spread the information more, create a campaign, create a, co-create a, an organization with no funding called Intersex Justice Project and and, and run that with my co-founders and um, do a campaign and then do the protests and make films and do this project and be visible on social media and talk to people in DMs and do answer emails. And if I could just, and that's a trauma response, as I say all this right now. And what I've realized, and this is one of the ways that I've been working on my healing right now and like my healing journey that I'm on is I go to ketamine clinic on uh, used to be twice a month. Now, I mean, twice a week. Now it's once a week. So what I've realized in, in the clinic is, and I th I've been putting these pieces together. I'm in a clinic, like a hospital clinic, when I go get ketamine to heal myself. And so there's all these triggers, like people in white lab coats, um, the, the room, the way the room looks, like having those hospital curtains hanging mm -hmm. from the wall between me and like other ketamine patients. Um, And what I've keep coming up with in ketamine when I'm, when I'm, um, when I'm, when I've, after I've administered the ketamine to myself, I keep bumping up to this child myself as a child, like, or yeah, on a hospital bed and I'm back in the surge, I'm back in the hospital and there's this realization I always have afterwards that like, I just want to protect that kid so bad. Mm. And I want to like love on them and also protect them. And I think one of the ways that I've tried to do that was like, and I think, oh yeah, that's another thing I realized is that me trying to end the surgeries for everybody was also me trying to end the surgeries for me as if mm -hmm. I could go back in time, which I can't. So that is, that sets up another hamster wheel that you're ultimately trying to seek something that you can't actually have because of the way that time works sadly at least in this dimension and plane um but so I've, I've been realizing like damn I just really want to like like there was a time I was like spooning my younger self in the hospital bed and just being like I'm here you know like giving them that presence of me today and last week I had this other realization I always feel this like rumbling when I'm there and I always assume there's something heavy upstairs that's just like rolling around and then I feel it through the floor of mm -hmm. and so I just never thought anything of it but as I said I keep coming back to these like hospital experiences when I'm under the ketamine and I think it's because I'm in a clinic and I realized this time that there is no rumbling this is actually like you know when you go to the movies or like a ride and then the, the chair rumbles when you watch something I feel like that was happening. Like I was having memories of the hospital, of being in one of those hospital beds and they're dragging me like through the hallways and I'm feeling like the little rumbles from the wheels. Mm -hmm. And So there was just a memory and it actually felt, it was like a feeling memory. And so this time when I put two and two together, like, oh, there's, this is like a memory. I put my hands out in my head and also like in real life. And I was like, just stop. You guys, like there was like people carrying me, you know, I assumed and like tell they're there. And I was like, you guys just chill out. Like, why are you doing this? Like, please like go away. <laughs> like, I don't need you to bring me to no operating room or anything. And then I, in my head again, and I put, I pulled the um, hospital curtains closed, closed around my bed, my hospital bed. And that, 
I, I felt like a sense of relief or like autonomy in, that I've never had before. Even though it was like so tiny, it was like, you know, I'm just telling people to stop moving me. And I close these curtains to keep the doctors away from me, even though they could just open them up, you know. But it was so symbolic of me reclaiming something. And so when I was thinking about, I want to take care of my younger self. And I think I was reflecting on, that's probably why I've done so much of this work. Um, was I was always trying to like go back in time, basically, and prevent what happened to me from happening. And I realized, like, well, how can I take care of, like, somebody, like, my child self? Like, that's in the past. And I realized, well, the best way I could do that is to take care of myself today. Or, I mean, the only way I can mm. do that is to take care of me today. And how can I do that? Well, I could think about what's best for future me. And if I'm thinking about future me and then taking care of present me, and if I'm taking care of present me, then I'm loving on the past me, the younger me. And so when I said I want people to be happy, like intersex people, first and foremost, I think I said that because activism can feel or seem like a pathway to, well, it gives you a purpose. So it's a very um, intoxicating experience because it can give you great purpose it can give you motivation. It can give you, um, you know, a sense of taking control and having, you know, but it's at the, at the end of the day, for me at least, it could, it's a hamster wheel, like you said. And I had to jump off at some point. And I was saying that I want, when I said first and foremost, I hope those kids are happy and smiling and whatever, intersex joys, intersex joy. It's because I think that I, th I thought that this is, that intersex activism would make, would help with my healing, you know, but it, it doesn't, <laughs> like, it really doesn't. You have to also be doing work on your own outside of the activism stuff you're doing. Um, and for me, it's really hard to do it simultaneously to be constantly telling my story and still somehow, you know, and somehow healing, being on a healing journey and, or doing a campaign and also really focusing on healing. Um, and, but like protesting in the streets at the same time, like for some people that's very possible. Um, but for me, I'm a very like single track minded person. Mm -hmm. I tend to focus on like one thing at a time, like very like hyper-focused on the book for a while. And now it's like, um, uh, it's going to be the documentary or it's like other stuff, but it's like, I, it's not, I'm not really good at like spreading my focus out. So yeah, I just want intersex people or anyone thinking about activism to just, you know, I know people are going to do it and they're not going to listen just like I didn't because you're young and you, you have energy then and you have passion and all of that. But I will say the day after we won, like had a win with our campaign, mm -hmm. I became so depressed. Um, I lost my purpose. And that speaks to me. You know, I need to also know what my values are, what my goals are, what my purpose is outside of an intersex campaign or out of, outside of activism. But I didn't have, I didn't do all that. I was just like, my purpose is to end the surgeries. And we didn't think we would end them in our lifetime. And then it happened at one hospital. And it was like, well, now what am I going to do? And now who am I? And I think that is the plight of activists sometimes is you might not know who you are outside of the campaigns you're working on. When you're traveling, you don't have access to your amazing sex goodies stash. So you start to pack your lube for sexy time in your toiletry bag. And when you open your bag back up, the lube you pack, of course, spills all over your toothbrush, makeup, and floss picks. Enter a brand new product from UberLube that will get your lube to your destination without spillage. They're new good-to-go travelers. Perfect for your purse, pocket, gym bag, or carry-on luggage, the good-to-go traveler features the same UberLube product in a discreet aluminum traveler that comes in six colors, 
Try Uberlube and their good to go traveler now with code SEXED with DB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Ever since getting engaged to my wonderful fiance, I've been thinking about ways to keep things fun and novel between us, but I, of course, want it to feel organic. I want to be able to feel sexy and comfortable in my body while trying something new. Thanks to Lion's Den, a new adventure I've been exploring is the world of lingerie. I never really was a big lingerie girl myself, but once I started trying on lingerie that accentuated my curves, felt super soft to the touch, and made me look in the mirror and felt wildly confident in my skin, that changed pretty quickly. Plus, when I searched for what I might like on Lion's Den's website, I saw models that actually looked like me. They were curvy and thick and voluptuous, and it made all the difference to see models that have my body type. Want to join me in my new lingerie chapter? Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online at lionsden.com. Follow them on social media at Lion's Den Adult on IG and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. I'm Amy, sex and relationship coach, certified sex educator, and 2022's Sexpert of the Year in the sex toy industry. And I'm April, VP of Hot Octopus, sex toy mogul, and 2016's Woman of the Year in the sex toy industry. Allow us to introduce you to Shameless Sex, a real talk, informative podcast all about sex and relationships, but with a playful twist. Want to learn how to eat pussy like a champ? Suck diak like a boss. Ew. How to better communicate, connect with, and touch lovers and partners. Or maybe you just want to be the master baiter of your own sexual pleasure. Shameless Sex releases episodes weekly and features accredited doctors, authors, therapists, and educators. Available on all podcast apps. Just look up Shameless Sex to discover your new best friends when it comes to all things sex and relationships. To learn more, visit shamelesssex.com. Let's talk about vacation sex. If you're like me, I bet you want a little pleasure while you're away, but can't fit your entire sex toy collection in your carry-on, huh? Say hello to the Magic Wand Mini. Born into such a famous family, this little wand has quite a reputation to uphold. Challenge accepted. Offering big power, multiple speeds, and unsurpassed quality, the full-featured Magic Wand Mini is more than simply a smaller sibling. It's here to create a legacy all its own. Want to win a Magic Wand Mini for your next trip or staycation? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magicwand to learn more. When it comes to anal sex, what comes to mind? If you're a beginner like so many of us out there, maybe you feel scared, unsure, or just plain uneducated. Future Method can help with that. Founded by a doctor and anal sex expert, Future Method develops science-backed products and non-judgmental doctor-led education to maximize pleasure, eliminate injury, and empower the way people choose to play in the bedroom. They even have a blog started by the gay community and now for everyone that puts education at the forefront on topics both popular and taboo. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at futuremethod.com. I think like this knowledge and wisdom truly only comes from doing it for how long you've been doing it and working on this and putting your whole into it. And I think that, you know, like if we're lucky, life is long and, you know, depending on different chapters, you could, you know, tap in, tap out, depending on where you're at in your journey of how you want to live your life. Um, It doesn't mean that just because now you're kind of, like you said, one track mind transitioning, having this realization that like doing activism wasn't healing for you, definitely healing for other people. I could tell you that, which you know, but you know, I think it's like a trade-off of like when you have energy, depending on how you're doing in your life, depending on what you're seeking, like what you're comfortable with. And so I'm sure that there will be maybe in three years when we have a third episode with you, there will be this other thing that you're working, you know, who knows like how, how you can tap back into that or not. Yeah. I have ideas. Um, Of course you do. I'm not surprised by that. I have so many ideas all the time. And I'm at a point where I think like the simplest ideas are the best ideas. And I'm always trying to figure out, well, how do I simplify my ideas? Um, So I hope, yeah, in three years there's something figured out. But um, 
yeah. Right now, it's just about breathing after the book released, release, after the book has released. Um, and yeah, I think there's a fear too around not sharing your story. Um, especially when you, your whole career, is it called? Like your activism life is centered around story-based activism, which is a word I learned late in the game. And I was like, oh yeah. Like, I think I was with Saifa and we were on a, a work, a, a call or a video interview and someone was like, you know, how is it, you know, doing story-based activism? Like, the, and we were like, I was like, that's what we've been doing. And it was like a light bulb moment. Yeah, like that there's this term for it where you share your story as a form of activism and it's a lot. So, and I think what I was saying, yeah, what I was going to say is like, I think there's a fear I have too where like, who am I without my trauma or who am I without my story? And I think that is something that a lot of people go through maybe when they've done like this type of work is like stepping into your new self and putting yourself out there. But it's, it's a, it's a different you and it's mm. not steeped in your trauma and your story. And then like how to keep doing the work, which is one of the things I have to figure out is like, how do I keep doing this work, but differently that I don't, that doesn't drain me and uh, make me feel burned out um, and make me feel s depressed and scared and, and, and mad, like just, and it's really hard because there's so many intersex people that are hurt and hurting. And so to be in any um, type of, proximity to intersex work you're in proximity to trauma and you're in proximity to a lot of deep pain and yeah i think in a few years what i really want to happen now that i remembered um please is like if i had to like snap my finger and just like wave a magic wand it would be all about intersex healing and intersex joy and it would be centered around psychedelics um, for intersex people and trans people, but I want to start with just intersex people, keep it simple and small. And it would be like, like I know an intersex doctor who has completely transitioned their work to ketamine treatments for people with PTSD and depression. And like, it would be so cool to work with them and then have retreats or something where inters or, or just, yeah, like a retreat where intersex people can come and try out things like ketamine, which is kind of a psychedelic, more of like a disassociative, but it's like in that umbrella. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, work with people that are like, like trained to sit with you during these treatments and then like help you reintegrate afterwards, like with your, what you, your experience. And I think that to me is the most exciting work that I, that I want to do is but it's hard because you can't really talk about this stuff on like social media. Um, right. Cause you know, anything but ketamine right now is schedule one um, drug. So, and ketamine is only limited to like people that have tried two antidepressants and you have treatment resistant depression and then your doctors prescribe you and you have to have insurance. The stuff is like really expensive now because they've, tweaked it johnson and johnson tweaked the, the molecule a little bit and they made it the mirror isomer and it's like so expensive so you have to have mm -hmm. insurance to get it um or you can go on your own but that's also really expensive without insurance it's like a thousand a session so it would be something around healing but with the use of psychedelics and things like mdma um and what's the other one? Oh, and mushrooms psilocybin um and what's amazing especially because you said three years, is within three years, those should all be approved by the FDA. They're in like the late phase trials, especially MDMA and uh, psilocybin. And I cannot wait for this world to have more, <laughs> a better understanding of what psychedelics are, like when the stick, when they become more destigmatized, when the mm -hmm. FDA says so. Um, like imagine a world where everyone participated in things like psilocybin versus um, drinking all the time. Right. And so, but besides that world, like I want to create a smaller world of intersex people, trans people, where we can somehow just work with people who are trained um, to help people through their trauma and their PTSD um, with the with the help of things like MDMA, psychedelics, et cetera. Like, yeah.
I think knowing what you've done and from what I know of you, you don't need a magic wand. I think if you want to do it, you're just going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because as I was saying it all, I was like, but I also just want to be free. You know, it's like I also want to just. Like I'm at such a crossroads, like I literally just want to be me sometimes. Like, can I just be me? And what does that look like? I have so many other interests like I, I have a physics club that we just started with one of my friends and we just physics talk about club. physics and um uh like a lot of stuff related to physics and I'm you know I used like but it's like I I always have this pull or this gravity back to intersex work it's it's something about well, A, you've done this for, you've built, you've done this, you've built a foundation so strong. Like, why would you leave it? And yeah, B, maybe it's just like a guilt. Like, a, a, like, I feel like I have to show up for my community. And so, yeah, I need to figure this out. Basically. This is therapy. Thank you. I'm on therapy. Listen, I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> um, the first session is free. No. Um, when just bring it back to your book, just to close this out really quick, because I do want people to buy it and read it and hear your story. Because, you know, as as we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, like, go back to the other intersex episode we have go to pigeons website, like do your own research. And like, if you're a listener who doesn't really know what intersex means, or you're not familiar with people's stories, like go check it out after this episode, because this was kind of like a 201 episode, which I think is really fantastic. Yeah, we're not like breaking down what intersex is. It's so nice. I'm not telling my story. Yeah, let's just um, kind of, you know, I, I really, really love this conversation. And I think like, one line in the description of your book that I really wanted to highlight that I was in love with is, it's a celebration of the freedom and empowerment that comes from learning the truth about who you are and living it. And I think like you're talking about exactly that of just kind of like you having told your story over and over again and you kind of through writing this book and through so much of your work, you know who you are and mm -hmm. you're ready to just live your life as who you are and be a happy person and have joy and laughter and connection and all yeah. the things that we want as people. Mm -hmm. And so I think like if you could kind of like encourage folks who are listening, who are, who are having trouble themselves in whatever identity, I guess, that they hold, mm -hmm. um, like living their true selves, what would you, what would you say to them? I think that for a while – I was telling my friends that I feel like there's a me inside of me mm -hmm. and then there's like the outside version of me and there's a, a space or a gap between those two things. And it made me feel so dead and like just not me. And um, I was really struggling with that. Like, I don't know if you ever have like an internal dialogue with yourself and you're like, um, like you're censoring or you're like live editing your, your what you say or how you react to somebody or something and you're kind of like tweaking it as you go and like you're like wait but what would what is the thing I would do if I was completely unfiltered and what what would just be me pure me like and um I think that that is to figure out like who you are and and to to get there is everyone has a different way of doing that. And some people just have it. Like I'm around, you know, I have certain friends that are just like, I feel at least from my perspective that they are just themselves through and through, no matter what company, no matter who, you know, no matter where they are, what stages are on, whatever. Um, I'm thinking of India right now, it's, which is, she's also a big part of the book and the, how we um, ultimately had a win at that hospital. But India is just one of them like they are just themselves like through and through no matter what and I love that about them and I think when I've when you're around someone like that you start to wonder like how do I how, how do I step into that for myself um and I think for me one day I was on ketamine at the clinic and 
I felt, and I was like thinking about it that week a lot or talking about it. Like you guys, like, I just feel like this, like I'm not actually able to be myself a lot of times. And it was making me so frustrated. And I was like, who, like, you know, like, cause there's so much pressure to perform stuff everywhere, like online, social media, everywhere, like every venue, you know, there's like this different ways, like your pressure, your family, um, stuff like that. You know, just being in public, going to the beach, can't take your shirt off. Like there's so much stuff that you're pressured. Like you can't just ever be yourself except like sometimes in your bedroom if like the, you know, like if no neighbors are there that you just be like buck ass naked or do whatever the hell you want. Like, um, but I was like on the ketamine and I felt like, um, almost like I was being scanned in a scanner, like, uh, like say like a light goes over you and it's like, and it, it didn't hurt. I didn't feel, it doesn't hurt, but it was like a slow, like passing over me. And as whatever was passing over me, it was like sealing me on the outside to the meat, the real me, what I was calling the real me on the inside. And it was like, like taking the air out. And then I like it, when it got through my whole body, I like came out of that ketamine. Um, I don't know what to call them trips. And it was like, what? And I was like, so smiley. And I was like, the, how did that happen? Like ketamine is amazing. Like it's amazing. I love You're blown away. Podcast is like about ketamine. <laughs> but, um, it's a big part of my life because not to get too deep into my story, but I've I've had such a dis. I've been so disjoint, disconnected from my body. I've realized in ketamine that I take a shot every time I say ketamine. I've realized in those sessions that. I was like, I can, like my vagina and that area is connected to me. It was like, what? And it was like, I can control it. Like I can like connect to it. And I still can't really, like I'm still struggling, but like I've never had a moment in my life where I thought that like after, you know, all the surgeries and finding things out and like, it's just become this thing that's like so far removed from me. And, um, all that to say is I'm very disconnected from my body. And I think that's also what I was feeling. Like I was disconnected from even my personality or like who I was, you know, who I expressed myself as. Hmm. And I think it's really important just to figure out for your own way, um, especially people, you know, like are so, so much trauma and PTSD or complicated PTSD um, for folks like us it's so important to figure out like how can you get back into your body if that's something you want and something you need um and how can you just figure out who you are and how to be that person like i think there's so much joy and release that comes from just being yourself and figuring that out um and yeah i don't i don't know how you can do it but i would strongly encourage <laughs> psychedelics um and things like that because for people like me that were so like stripped or so disconnected from our bodies like it's taken things like ketamine um and other and other things um to help me actually connect to my body again super powerful yeah yeah ketamine for sure needs to be in the title of this episode like hands <laughs> down <laughs> it's it's I think, you know, everyone I know is doing it and not everyone, but a lot of people. And if they're not, in, it's definitely having a moment. It's sure. having, she's having her moment and <laughs> she's, she's very wonderful and helpful. And I'm so glad. I mean, I think that's incredible. Um, before I let you go, why, why don't you share a little bit about where people can get your memoir, Nobody Needs to Know, uh, and where they can find you and follow your work? Um. You can get the memoir, my memoir, anywhere, not anywhere, but um, you can get it on Amazon. I feel so bad saying that. On Amazon. Um, it's a legitimate thing that people <laughs> use to get items, so it's okay. Barnes & Noble, Target. Um, I have some other bookstores on my website, like smaller bookstores that I know are carrying it. Um, I think Blue Stockings is carrying it in New York. Um, you know, just basically Google it and you'll find out where it's sold, I guess. And, um, if you're in Chicago, oh no, 
my book is out already, so I stopped doing this, but I've been hiding them <laughs> last week and the week before I was hiding books around the city and then oh, going cute. on my Instagram and telling people like, okay, I hit a book at this intersection and Love then it. people go and find it. But, um, but yeah, you can just search the, I guess, Google it or whatever, and then you can find out where you can buy it. Um, and what was the second part? Like where to find me? Mm-hmm. Oh, mainly like Instagram. I wish I was doing more on other platforms, but I basically mostly exist on Instagram. So like in the internet land. So my Instagram's at pigeon, my name, P I D G E O N. Um, yeah. And, you know, hopefully you can find me, you know, in the multiverse somewhere on another plane one day. (laughs) Very, very apt ending. Uh, thank you so, so much for being here. It was really, really a privilege to chat with you and it was such a beautiful conversation. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalow. Our producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our associate producer and communications coordinator is Sadie Ligi. Our marketing coordinator is Kate Fiala. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Thanks so much to our featured guests, partners, and listeners. Want to partner with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. For exclusive content and to submit an anonymous sex ed question, check out my new podcast on Fridays, Curious Sex Ed, hosted with Mariah Caudillo of Sex Ed Files. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash curiousexed to learn more. See you next time.